we have, looking back last couple of years, we went through the book of Joel in the Old Testament portraying the, foretelling the coming of Christ and the establishment of His church here in this world. We've gone through the book of Revelation by John and through first and second John. We have been through James, we have been through Colossians and Thessalonians lately from the Apostle Paul. They're all inspired of the Holy Ghost. And they're all teaching us the same story. And I hate to use that word that sounds like a fable. The same truth of Christ and Him crucified, the Son of God, and the eternal election of grace. Today, I want to go start in First Peter. I like to go through here and give you everything as it goes. I want you to be able to see by God's grace and understand how each one of these men agree on everything in Scripture. That it's all of Christ, it's all by Christ, it's all for Christ. I want you to be able to know and understand that we stand in the grace of God, the power of God, and no matter what happens in this world, the purpose of God is final. It will come to pass that God works His way in heaven and in earth. Paul, or Peter rather, been talking about Paul so much, I may say that quite often, but it's Peter, begins his apostle, Peter. Think about Peter. Peter's one I look at and see myself in many times. He's a plain man. He worked hard. He was a fisherman. He did not come in the elegance of the apostle Paul with the education and liberal arts and the Jewish law also and all that Paul had being a Jew and a Roman citizen and the liberal arts of the world also. Everything that Paul knew and taught and was educated in. Peter was a man who fished for a living. He was married. He worked hard for a living. I love to go to Matthew 17 because Peter took, I mean, the Lord took with him Peter, James, and John three rough, brash, impudent fishermen up into the mountain and was transfigured before them. That was a revelation of the righteousness of Christ to them. And that gives me hope and comfort that although as vile as I am in this world, that since I do love God, that He first loved me. Peter, who drew his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus. Peter, who said, I'll go to death or to prison with thee. Peter, who the very night our Lord was betrayed by Judas and taken, denied the Lord Christ three times before the cock crowed. We see so much of the natural man in Peter. We see a man whose hard and rough calloused hands probably spoke with a tongue that sometimes was hard. But yet by the grace of God, this man, even though he betrayed the Lord, this and do we not betray God? Do we not turn away from Him knowing full well in our heart that what we're thinking or what we're doing is wrong from time to time? That is our nature. Peter denied the Lord three times, and yet we see him here, an apostle sent of the Lord to those of the circumcision, the Jews, to preach and teach them of Christ crucified. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the circumcision. As James, the Lord's brother, was the apostle and pastor there in Jerusalem. But we think about Peter... His name was Simon. Simon bar Jonah. Simon son of Jonah. Peter, the Lord changed his name to Peter, which means a stone, and he was called Cephas, which means a rock. That relates to us that this man, even though he was hard, brash, impudent, much 
as I am in my mind many, many times ready to draw the sword, that by the grace of God, He was sent as an apostle to the circumcision to feed the flock of God, to teach them to have His part that God called Him and placed Him into in the foundation, being one of the twelve apostles, the foundation of the New Testament church, which is built upon the apostles and prophets. Peter, an apostle, one who is sent. There were only twelve. The twelve sons of Jacob, there are twelve apostles of the Lamb. We go back to Revelation and we see, I believe, in verse 4, the four and twenty elders. They were they who cast their crowns before the Son of God, who is God manifest on the throne. They cast their righteousness, their crowns before His feet. They are the twelve sons of Jacob and the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Take notice of that. Because this man was called of God, as were the others, for the purpose of God in the church, in the covenant of grace, which has been brought to us by the Spirit of God, which was working in them, that we may have this kingdom, that we may have this knowledge, that we may have this worship, and understand through revelation that Jesus Christ is the living Word of God, the second person of the Godhead, equal in deity, equal in power with God the Father. And that He hath saved us from our sins. And that He has promised, and He cannot lie, to deliver us to heaven and immortal glory. And that He who cannot lie and said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And with everything that we face in this world, that He is with us and He carries us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent from the Lamb of God. Sent from the Son of God. Sent from the chief cornerstone. Sent from the head of the church. Sent from the King of kings and Lord of lords sent from He who is our life and our resurrection, an apostle of Jesus Christ. God would not leave us comfortless, and God would not leave Himself without witness. God will have a people somewhere in this world, and every child of God will have comfort in some way or another through Christ while they live in this world. Even those who do not hear the Gospel, even those that live where the Gospel has never been, they still have comfort in some way in Christ because as you were about to see, they are sanctified by the Spirit of God in Christ. That means God is in them. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. There's great debate over this. People uh, have different ideas and different thoughts on things and people talk about things. And Some people would say that these were the, uh, the dispersed of Judah. And I would not deny that. God said, I'll scatter thee abroad. And that was in Moses. When you've come into the land and you've gone after the gods of these people, then I will scatter you abroad. And that was done. Some say they're the ten and a half tribes of Israel which settled in Assyria and were gathered among the people, losing their identity as God's children and walking the identity of the Gentiles with which they had co-inhabited the land with. And I could see that point also. But the point I believe to be made here, I go back to one more, and this lays more to my thinking. Although these men were mainly Jews, mainly Jews, and you'll catch that in just a moment. If we go back to Acts 8, when Stephen was stoned as a great persecution of the church, and because of the persecution from Jerusalem, 
The church, which was primarily Jewish at that time as God was gathering the lost sheep of the house of Israel into the house of God, had been scattered because of persecution. These are Gentile cities. And he's speaking to strangers that he personally did not know. But either way, either way, you want to read it, either way you want to take it, it will work and it will fit, and it will be true. But what I want you to realize is this is written to people, not just a nation, not just a city, but to people who are scattered throughout this world, Gentiles in the flesh, many of them, many of them, Remember going through Genesis 10, Japheth, the father of the Gentiles. Remember Laban, the bright, shining person, Laban. Glory of Christ upon Gentiles, Laban, a Gentile. Remember talking about the English-speaking people to whom God hath given since 1611 the New Testament Scripture written in the English language. Put all these things together and think about the providence of God. These were all people who were scattered about and they're born of the Spirit of God. They're in this land, tying this to Laban, of Turkey, where Laban lived. Turkey. And this is who Peter is writing to. It's not just Jew. It's not just Gentile. This is teaching us of the elect of God in this world, Jew and Greek alike, Jew and Gentile alike. For God has a people from every people. As we said last week, even going down to every tongue, and there are tongues of people that were spoken centuries ago which are not spoken today. The language, the tongue has been lost, yet Scripture testifies to us that God in His purpose had a people among them. And those people are delivered in Christ and stand in heaven in immortal glory. And nothing can take that away. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then he begins to tell them just exactly who they are. I do not see how any man that can look through a stepladder and see the other side, cannot understand pure, true Scripture. There's no work of ours. There's no choice of ours. There's no righteousness of our own. It is all in the election of grace. It is all in Christ. It is all by Christ for the eternal purpose of God in Christ. He's the head of all things. He's the Creator of heaven and earth. He's the head of the church. He's our salvation. He's our life. He's our resurrection. He's everything we have. Who is He talking to? These strangers to Him who are scattered about and born of the Spirit. Well, He's going to tell us down here we're begotten of God. So that tells us we're born of the Spirit. So let me prove that before we move any farther. Paul, or Peter rather, knows that no one will have this or accept this or believe this or even has the ability to unless they're born of the Spirit of God. Unless Christ died for them, made them holy without blame, before God the Father in love. And who did He die for? He died for those the Father gave Him. And they must be cleansed, and then they must be in Christ, and they are given the Spirit of God. They didn't ask for it. They were dead in sins, and you hath He quickened while you were dead in trespassing sins. This is Jew. This is Gentile. From Adam on, the only way any man knows God is in Christ. The only way any man comes to God is in Christ. And if you do know God and you do come to God, it's evidence that Christ died for you, that your sins are covered in His blood, that God hath given you life in His Spirit. And that leads us to verse 2. 
Peter speaking to these people, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The foreknowledge of God. Well, how would you know? I turned almost to it. Two pages off. This hit my mind a moment ago and I thought I will never find it. Uh, Deuteronomy 7. Let me get in these two pages. 7, 7, 7. Moses makes the point, there are holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto Himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Let me give you something to think about. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh, Moses told him that ye may know that the Lord has set a difference between Israel and the other people of the world. Okay? Establish that point. Now Moses is speaking here to the elect of God which were manifested in Israel. All of God's children are not of the nation of Israel. All of the nation of Israel are not God's children. He told the Pharisees Himself, you're not of My sheep. Therefore, you do not hear my voice. He said in Romans, it's not the children of the flesh, the lineage of Abraham. It's the children of the promise. The promise the Father made to the Son. The promise that was sealed of the Holy Spirit. Moses said in Deuteronomy 7 and 7, the Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. There were 70 souls went down to Canaan. Remember? For ye were the fewest of all people. Here's the reason. Why did God choose you? But because the Lord loved you. Do you understand that? It's not because the preacher saved you. It's not because the choir sang songs to you. It's not because you went to Sunday school on some Sunday morning. It's not because you worked your way there. It's not because you donated enough money to get there. It's plain and simple for the purpose of the election of grace. Grace, unmerited love and favor, the choice of God to unmerited love and favor because it pleased God to love you. The Lord loved you. And because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, speaking of Old Testament Israel, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh. It pleased God. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to Gentiles. I quote this three times a month, or try to quote it. I butcher it probably, but I try to mention it three times a month because I stand here and try to teach you about the election of grace. I try to teach you about those that please God in the realm of eternity to set His love upon. They're not worthy to be God's children. They have no works. No righteousness of their own. They didn't believe God. They didn't have faith. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit. You have to be born of the Spirit to have faith. And in order to be born of the Spirit, you have to stand among the elect of God. Those the Father gave the Son. Those the Son died for. Those the Son raised up. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According as He, Ephesians 1 and 4, has chosen us, His people, God the Father chose His people in Christ. When? before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before God the Father in love. There is no way for anything, even the angels that sinned and left their first estate. People talk about free will. We had free will one time, and that was in the perfection of creation. Satan rebelled. The angels that were not chosen of God to stand firm in God's purpose and grace, rebelled with Him. Adam fell and sin and death entered the world. I don't want free will. 
I want the power of God in my life to keep me and love me and carry me and sustain me through this dark, evil world because I am so prone to rebel. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Eternity has no beginning. Eternity has no end. God and God alone is eternal. He is not created. He is an eternal being. I use the word being because I have no way to describe Him. Jehovah. The Jews would not even say the name. They just utter jaw, a groaning. Because God is that holy. God is that powerful, that wise. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Without beginning, in the realm of eternity, which never began, it is, it has always been, and it always will be. As far back as we can go in our finite mind, and then that far again, and again, and again. Far past anything we can understand. God has loved you. Let that sink in. Foreknowledge of God the Father. The eternal God who has always been, who changes not. And by the way, that's Christ. Hebrews 13.8 The same yesterday, today, and forever. Has always been. And He's always loved you. I love my children. When I knew they were conceived, I started loving them. God goes past that. God goes past before conception, before creation, in foreknowledge. Now, there's a difference in omniscience. And foreknowledge. Omniscience is the all knowing God who does know everything, who has always known everything. He's never learned anything, He's never forgotten anything. I forget my name sometimes. God's never forgotten anything, He's never wanted anything. Well, the Lord wants you to do this. Though God never wants, God is a God of purpose and a God of means, and God works His way. Period. So when He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, consider the omniscience of God. Consider that God, as we would judge time, was millions, billions, trillions of years before God created. And all this time, the all-knowing God knew Satan would rebel. The angels would rebel that He did not keep in His hand. And that Eve would be beguiled. And that Adam, let's lay the blame where it goes, who did God make covenant with? Adam, who rebelled against God of His own free will. And God for knowing a people. Here comes foreknowledge in His omniscience. Knowledge is speaking of the intimacy between a husband and a wife. That's knowledge. That's an intimacy between spirit and spirit and body and body and soul and soul. God made Eve and brought her to Adam. They became one flesh. In foreknowledge through the omniscience of God, God devised a way. God made a way. God made a covenant. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That those whom God was pleased to set His love upon would be saved from all the darkness of sin and death and rebellion in this world and would be carried through this world and all the things that we face and brought to heaven and immortal glory. 
where we shall stand with Christ. And here's the best part of it all. And see Him as He is and never ever be separated from Him again. We're separated from God sometimes here. We walk in a way which is not pleasing to God. We turn our back on Him and His face is hid from us. But He's always there with us. Even though we don't know it or see it or realize it, He's always there with us. Grace may sometimes teach us later on the Lord was there. Paul is speaking to Paul. Peter is speaking to these people. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. There's no other way, Jew or Gentile, male or female, living or dead, to stand with God, to know God, to love God, to have life, to have anything unless you are among the elect of God, those the Father gave to the Son. He says you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. We are, according to Romans 5, we are at enmity with God. Ephesians tells us we were without God in the world. Ephesians 2 also, and you as He quickened while you were dead in trespass and sins. We were dead. We were happy in it. We did not know God. We did not want to know God. We hated the thought of God. We hated the thought of authority. We hated the thought of being controlled or told what to do. I can remember as a child thinking, I know God, I love God, and I love Jesus. But Jesus is just the Son. Just the Son. You see the fullness of man. And, and I used to think in my mind, I'm not going to bow to anyone. I am a man. I'm a southern man. And I'm not going to bow to anyone. You're not going to fear me into salvation. You're not going to scare me, scare me into salvation. But let me tell you what brings you to salvation. The love of God which brings you down and melts your heart when the Father reveals the very Son of God to you upon the cross of Calvary. Then, brethren, you submit yourselves to the Lord. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Here's the point. Through sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit of God first. Let's get, get our ducks in line. We were driven from God. We were sinners in the flesh. We could not stand before God. Go a step further. We could not exist before God. Remember when Adam rebelled and God drove him from the garden, God drove us from His presence? Lest we should take of the tree of life and live forever in that condition of sin, God drove us from Him. That was an act of mercy. Okay? Because had we not been driven from Him, our God, who is a consuming fire, if we ever were back in His presence, we would have been consumed. It was an act of mercy. We are sanctified by the Spirit. Before we were sanctified, we had to be made holy and without blame. Sinners cannot stand before God. So Christ in this covenant which was made way back in eternity agreed Coveted with the Father to die for those the Father gave Him. To make us holy without blame. Before who? God the Father. The righteous God and Judge of all. The Creator of heaven and earth before whom sin cannot exist. To make us holy. He bore our sin. He bore our shame. He sits at the right hand of God. We sit at His right hand. When God looks at you, He sees Christ. His blood is upon you. He made you holy and without blame 
before God the Father in love. And God quickens you by the Spirit. The Son of Man quickeneth whom He will. He says, I judge not my judgment, but the one of him that's judgment of him that sent me, which means he came down from heaven to do the Father's will. And the Father's will is that all he had given me, I would lose nothing but should raise it up again the last day. But as far as giving life and quickening, the Son quickeneth whom he will. How does he quicken? By the Spirit of God. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. That's life in this world. That's regeneration. That's God speaking to you and giving you life. He goes a few verses past that and John said, uh, in John and said, five, John 5, and said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming that all in the grave shall hear his voice. And come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. My question is this why have they done good? Because they're born of the Spirit of God. Because they're in the elect of God. In the purpose of the election of grace that God loved them, Christ died for them, God gives them life, Christ quickens whom He will. And when we're quickened by the Spirit of Almighty God in heaven, we're sanctified. When Christ was lifted up from the face of the earth, He hanged between two men. I don't think there's a question who was on his right side. They both hated him by their nature. They both, the word, rebelled against him. They ridiculed him. They hated him. But all of a sudden, there was one who I believe was on the right side of Christ, who in an instant would know. Sunday school, no choir, no preacher, no one but the preacher, the prophet Christ. He was taken from the nature of sin and death at the very point of death itself, was quickened and given life, and said, Remember me, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom. What was Christ's answer? Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He was sanctified. Christ separated him from the other man. Christ separates his people from those of the world. We're given life by the Spirit of God, sanctification. That's what holy means is set aside, different, apart from, holy. God is holy of holies. God is above all, created all things, above all things. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. God gives you life. There is no other way. You had absolutely nothing to do with it. It's all in Christ. Okay? Through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's take this very carefully. And try to be very simple and plain. Lord, help me. You're elect. You're sanctified. You are in the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are in the finished work of Jesus Christ. God in Christ has brought you into the elect. He's brought you into the sanctified. He died for you. He loves you. He's always loved you. He always will love you. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Either the elect of God, you're sanctified. God has brought you into the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then Peter says, Grace unto you. Oh my goodness, brethren, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love to read that book. God manifests to His children. 
People who were at one time in rebellion to God, hating God, had no desire of God, God hath revealed Himself to you. I never will forget, and I'm not related to hating my daddy because I don't hate my daddy, never have, but one time I was over behind my grandmama's place. I had on his army cap. I remember that, and probably a diaper. And I'd gone over the hill to a little stream that was back there and I got lost and I was scared. And I was crying. I didn't know where I was. I thought I was going to die. And all of a sudden, here comes my dad. I didn't find him. I don't know if he found me, but I know he was there. When God reveals Himself to us and we see the finished work of Christ, and we understand that He loved us while we were His enemy, and that He he saved us in His blood. The grace, the grace, the unmerited love and favor, the grace of God that we have in that knowledge, and the peace of God. I can't watch the news. I get angry. My nature comes out. My Birmingham blue blood comes out. I want to draw the sword. I want to conquer. I want to defeat evil because I hate people that hurt people. But you know what? Living here, being bound by law and being bound by the duty of being ambassadors to Christ and how we are to live and walk in this world in obedience to God, we have peace even through all these things because we know, as Peter is telling us, we are the elect of God. What you going to do with that, Arminian? Elect! According to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit because God hath given us life and separated us from the world and brought us unto Himself in the obedience of Christ lowering Himself down to the death, humbling Himself as it says in Philippians 2 to the death of the cross. His blood is upon us and we have this grace and we have this peace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, time out. Let's, let's understand something. The least, or should I say the lesser, is always blessed of the greater. We cannot bless God. Let's just cut it down to brass tacks. We can't help God. We can't stop God. We can't bless God. We cannot love God unless He enables us to, and that's because He loved us first and we stand among the elect of God. Peter is not saying, oh, we bless our God. He's getting blessing from us. He's making the point in thanksgiving, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Creator of heaven and earth. But it's mentioned here also, He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. heard a fellow last week talking about Christ being the elect of God, how God chose Him among all men. Let me tell you something, brethren. Look just a step past that. He did not just choose Him to be the Christ. He created Him to be the Christ. His Father was not Joseph. His Father was God. God, a body has thou prepared me. God created the body of Christ inside the body of His mother, the Virgin Mary. Certainly, He's the elect of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. God formed Him. God made Him. The living Word was made flesh. Thankfulness to God, the Father of Christ, who have loved us and saved us, which according to His abundant mercy. 
quick example. I used to guide. My job was to feed the horses. Got $10 a week. I thought I was in high cotton in 1972. I'd buy a box of 410 shotgun shells and two plugs of chewing tobacco. I thought I was just top of the world. 12 years old. I'd feed the horses. And every Christmas and every Thanksgiving, I'd give them an abundant supply. We'd set a bucket out for three, a two and a half gallon bucket, and spread it out. Well, every Christmas and Thanksgiving, I'd give them a bucket apiece. I gave them an abundant supply. Using that to make the point that I got in trouble for pouring so much food out, but using that to make the point of the abundance of God's mercy, it overflows. It cannot all be used. It cannot be done away with. It cannot be taken. There's nothing that we can do to escape the mercy nor the grace of God. We stand in the unmerited love and favor of God, which is grace. But we also stand in the mercy of God and not getting what we deserve, but getting and receiving grace in being loved, in being cared for. He says, Blessed, thankful to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, watch this, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John 3. Let me read it. Let me read it. John 3. I'm past it. Go back, dummy. John 3. Except a man be born again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We're born of the flesh. Our father and our mother come together. The seed is conceived in sin, shapen in iniquity through Adam. We are born into this world sinners. We cannot approach unto God. We cannot know God. Except a man be born again. Can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb? Jesus said, see the wind where it blows? You can't see where it comes from or where it goes. You just see the effects of it. You cannot see the Spirit of God. You see the effect of it. You see a man who was a a low-down scoundrel in the way he lived, all of a sudden turning and seeking God. Why? Because the Spirit of God has touched him. The Son of Man has quickened him. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We're born of the Spirit of God. And you hath He quickened while you were dead in trespassing sins. Which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us. We are born again. When one is born of the Spirit of God, it manifests that he's adopted of God. It's manifest that God is in him. It's manifest that Christ died for him and Christ is glorified in that. This man who once walked contrary to God or woman now is seeking God and Christ is glorified in His abundant mercy. He's begotten us again. In His abundant mercy, we're born again. And somebody says, well, I'm a born again child of God. I made that decision. That's foolishness. Did you have any choice of being born of your mother or your father? Nature teaches this no. So why would we think that us as sinful mortal beings would have any influence, any control over being born of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and there was life. The Spirit of God moved upon you and there was life. And again, the Son of Man quickeneth whom He will, has begotten us again into a lively hope. 
Our hope is not dead. Our hope is alive because Christ is our hope. He died our death to pay for our sin debt. He laid in the grave three days and three nights. He came forth victorious over death and has walked upon the face of the earth and reproved Himself alive, resurrected, and ascended back to the right hand of the Majesty on high where He lives forever. Body, spirit, and soul. The man, Jesus Christ. Matthew 25.31 How will He appear? Who will He be? When the Son of Man, that's Christ, in the body, shall appear in His glory. That's Christ. He is our hope. He's our earnest expectation. The manifestation of the sons of God. Romans 8. He's begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I have the power to lay it down. They pierced His side. Out came blood and water. The blood had began to separate proving, bearing witness, 1 John 5, that He was dead, bearing witness that He laid His life down. We did not kill Him. We could not kill Him. He was God in the flesh manifesting. He laid His life down for us. And raised up for our justification. Resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then everything we say and preach and teach and live and love is in vain. The Son of God came forth over death. Peter said it was not possible that it should hold Him. He laid His life down. He raised it back up by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me give you something to think about. Christ was born in the world about this time of year, September, October, called the Feast of the Harvest. They were in booths to signify how God carried them when they came out of Egypt. He came into the world to harvest, okay? To harvest His people, to save them and harvest them. That's when He was born. When He was crucified and came forth from the grave, we call it Easter. They called it Passover. There's no more Passover. That's done. But that was in the spring. The Feast of Harvest when Christ was born, all their belongings, all their crops were being harvested. The elect of God showing that Christ would harvest them. In the springtime, what happens? All these dead, dormant plants come to life. Christ who is our life, who laid His life down and raised up for our justification. If He was still in the grave, we would have no hope, no possible way of a resurrection. This is what separates the true Messiah from the gods of the world. Confucius is in the grave. Buddha is in the dead, the grave. Mohammed is in the grave. Christ has raised up and sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. God hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. (laughs) To an inheritance. You can't buy an inheritance. You can't go to Walmart and get it. You don't earn it. Uh, You don't earn it. An inheritance comes from kinship. An inheritance comes from a patriarch, matriarch, father, 
mother down. In the Jewish law, the mother was excluded. It went from father to son. But my point, and that's the importance of the woman whose son was in the coffin and the Lord touched it and raised it up, she would not be alone anymore. Side point. Don't cost anything. Make a point in closing because I've got to close. I'm not through with this. We'll pick it up next week. We are born again and we have an inheritance with the elect of God born again in the finished work of Christ by His abundant mercy through His resurrection in which we have life and we have an inheritance because Christ is our brother. Which makes God our Father. And we have an inheritance. It's coming from Him. My children make a joke. They can't wait. When I pass away, they're going to come crack up on those gun saves. Oh, they didn't buy them. Most of them are cheap. They wouldn't have bought them. But they're going to have them. And I know that's all in jest, but I'm just making a point. I got a gun store in the bedroom. Uh, my point being through that, we don't have anything to do with it. It's all coming from God. It's by inheritance in Christ because God loved you. It pleased God to set His love upon you. It pleased Christ. His passion was to die for you. Acts chapter 1. His passion, His desire from eternity was to die for you. That is beyond my understanding of love. To an inheritance incorruptible, it cannot be corrupted. This corruptible must put on incorruption and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. There's a comma there. I don't have time to finish it. We'll start it next week. If you'll start praying now, the Lord will bless. Thank you.